Welcome to the show that is called the Air Red Attack Podcast. Today's show is going to be a fun one. Before I introduce to you today's, to today's guest, make sure you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google, listen on Amazon Music or even iHeartRadio. Listen to the show on the Unhinged Sports Network live on Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern. But as I mentioned, we have a special guest joining today's show. He played college football at the NCAA D2 level Western Colorado University. He used to be a sports director at a radio station along with being the voice of basketball and wrestling. He co-hosts the Far End of the Bench podcast where you can listen to the show on the Unhinged Sports Network at 1 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays. So, ladies and gentlemen, will you please give a virtual round of applause for our guest, Jimmy Paolato. Jimmy, welcome to the Air Attack Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. This is gonna be this is gonna be fun because uh, a lot of people that know me know that I love talking football, um, but I can't go quite as deep as my knowledge on our show, the far end of the bench with Nico. Just because he'd get bored, it'd be like him trying to explain the ins and outs of basketball to me. I, I love football, um, and I mean. I've been a fan of, of like the Oklahoma region, especially for college football for a long time. So I'm excited to talk football and, and get that out there and expand the, expand the, the area where people can hate me because I'm sure I got plenty of haters out there. <laughs> hey, it's, it's perfectly fine. I know here in Oklahoma, uh, I, I get uh, hazed quite a bit. I, you know, and what's funny is I mentioned to it um, two shows previously to a Purdue Boilmaker fan, uh, Tanner. I still get hazed by this Michigan fan. But what's funny is I don't know why. First of all, the only comment that I made was the fact that his team lost to an FCS team. Uh, back in Appalachian State, but back in 2005, apparently he's still butthurt uh, in regards to uh, in regards to that. So every time Oklahoma lost to Iowa State, Kansas State, he would comment. But you know he's been quite since. But you know we'll, we'll talk Michigan because uh, Jim Harbaugh, of course, in the news. Uh, we'll talk that. So you know, but it's 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 perfectly fine. Yeah, I mean the, it's tough going after somebody's team, and if it's a college sports are weird because <laughs> excuse me uh if you got somebody who went to a school that's kind of like going after their kid but i mean michigan's earned plenty of flack going back to the appalachian state loss and then we we'll, we can talk about it as much as you want um about the where they are this year i mean that program i mean talk about some some place that i remember for so long being so good and then they're just they don't compete against anybody and going three overtimes against a rutgers team that you should have dominated quite honestly that's it's been a rough rough few i mean honestly this year as a whole has been bad for michigan fans from the red wings all the way through to the lions nothing nothing good coming out of that <laughs> of course not and you know, and michigan you mentioned it too michigan had uh, absolutely fallen on the face of face of the earth this uh, this year you know of course jim hallbar of course uh, starting the year one and three uh, my personal take you know he's he at, I don't know. You're one and three. Michigan's not even competitive. You know, the only game I watched him really was the Minnesota game, the season opener. I thought Minnesota would come out swinging. That wasn't too bad of a game, but Michigan looked fine the week. If you want to consider it week one, week one. But you look at Michigan. Um, is it time? And my opinion, I would say absolutely. I think Jim Hallbar, of course, I think he overstayed his stay at Michigan. Uh, in Jimmy, your opinion, do we see Jim Harbaugh being dismissed as head coach? And if so, who would you personally 
if you're Michigan, uh, go after. I will actually give you one, but kind of curious who you would say at this point. Um, that's that's the tricky thing because I agree with you. I've been talking about it for a long time. After Michigan head coaches basically get three tries to get a win against Ohio State, normally after three tries and you don't, you get canned. Um, I understand why Harbaugh stays around because up until this year, they've been pretty competitive. Most of the time, and uh, he's gotten – they got a Jordan sponsorship. Jordan's getting into football, and they were the first school to get a full endorsement from them. So he's done plenty of good things. It's just the uh, for a school that has so much history and you have that in-state rival that you can just use as fuel for your fan base. Because, honestly, if you live in Michigan, you're Michigan University of Michigan fan. If you beat Ohio State, you can go 1-10, in 10, but that one win was against Ohio State, you're happy. So there's – it, it makes no sense how his tenure is gone. He should have been able to beat Ohio State by now. Uh, but I still don't think that they move on from him during at the end of the season. With everything that's going on, with the mulligan that you get with coronavirus and um, the quarantine, having to deal with that kind of thing, I think he'll get at least half of next season. I could see them possibly dismissing him middle of next season, but I do think that Jim Harbaugh is going to finish out the year. And I don't think that Michigan's going to want to move on until he's actually proven that it's it's past his time. I think a lot of coaches. I think Scott Frost. Um, Scott Frost definitely is one at Nebraska. I think would be easily stay. You know, he could easily been fired, but I think you know it's it's a COVID year, and I think a lot of these coaches are getting the pass. And so we look at Jim Harbaugh. Of course, um, ten years at Michigan hasn't. Been, he's zero nine against Ohio State. Like you said, I totally agree. I still think at least – at least give him one year. At least once he should have beat Ohio State by now. I look at – presuming we can complete the rest the regular season, uh, Michigan, I would imagine – that I don't see them beating Ohio State, but anything can happen. Um, do you see, of course, next year, let's say, presuming Jim Hobbar, how deep into the season – do we can potentially see if they struggle right from the get-go? I don't know what the schedule looks like next year. Uh, presuming we actually have a full season next year, so on and so forth. And uh, how deep uh, can Jim Harbaugh stay at Michigan, and how much longer can can he take this uh, take this beating? Um, that's. I think that it, it's probably dependent on how their season ends. It's not going the way that they wanted it to. Uh, I'm just I'm pulling up their schedule now because the obvious they finished the season at Ohio State, but they have a couple other games that I would normally say that they would be heavy favorites in. But it's uh, it's Maryland and then they have Penn State this weekend. Those are two games where if you drop one or two, one of or both of those games, then I think it's early next season, possibly in the first quarter if it is a full um, full season for, for the NCAA. If they, they do kind of right the ship, turn it around, beat Penn State, beat Maryland at home, and then go on the road to an Ohio State team and look somewhat, you know, somewhat competent, and then, then we could see more of a extended um, leash on Harbaugh. So I think it really does depend on how the Wolverines finish out this, the rest of 2020. Obviously not – they're going to go to a bowl game because everybody goes to a bowl game this year. But if you can at least salvage, you win two of these games in the season four and five, but you're trending in the right direction. I mean, it's kind of the we see NFL teams do it all the time. You you're struggling the entire season. Every you finally figure out something to work. You win a couple games and get extended. Everybody gets extensions and everybody's happy. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it's um, it's going to be interesting how Michigan plays out. Of course, not year, regardless, you know, I get the 2020 COVID-19, so on and so forth. But not the year they were wanting and, and losing the Rutgers, Rutgers. Let's be honest. Um, that's a really a black eye to the you know. The, boy, that's a they did end up beating Rutgers, but it was it was a three overtime game. That's that's what bothers people. They did end up getting it done in the third overtime, but uh, I mean Rutgers is they have that win against. Uh, they have a signature win this season too. Craig Schiano. I'm not not too too big of a fan of Craig Schiano, but. He's done something with that program. So it wasn't the fact that they lost, but going that long against the team in Rutgers, who you should dominate. Rutgers is not a football school. Um, that That's where the problem lies with that game uh, for Harbaugh. Exactly. And then, of course, Wisconsin, uh, their game against Minnesota being postponed uh, due to COVID. I know Wisconsin, I think if that game actually finished out being canceled, uh, they're ineligible for the Big Ten championship game. Um, you're t- <laughs> we look at this, and of course, you know, college football remains. Of course, this past weekend, Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, hot scene, in my opinion, and kind of go with what I was thinking with Michigan is Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy now goes two and 14 as the head coach against Oklahoma. Of course, Oklahoma has practically dominated the rivalry since it is started. Even, is Bedlam even a rivalry, though? Because no. Nah. I think when you, Oklahoma when, State's won seven times. <laughs> when, 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 when I think, you know, it would have to take um, – they said it got awful amount of numbers it would have to take for Oklahoma State to, to find. I think it's 90, 18, and 7 or something like that. No, it's, no, it's definitely not a rivalry. It's more of a um, – um, as I call it, told, told toward my boss or earlier or last week was a stepbrother beating. That's practically what it's gone down to. It's just another. It's just another game. It's a good in-state rivalry and and uh, or in-state game that both fan base can trash talk. And at the end of the day, then the Pokes can realize that uh, they're still little brother and that their football program is nowhere near. Oklahoma's caliber, and of course, Oklahoma State, really, in my opinion, and being an Oklahoma fan, it was this year, really, I thought it was their advantage to to beat Oklahoma, a team that struggled against Iowa State, a team that struggled against Kansas State, and um, and could have, should have probably lost to Texas, but whatever. Um, you look at Oklahoma State, I'm not for sure how much he's followed them this year, I don't know. Of course, it's COVID year. I, th- I still think a lot of coaches get. But uh, is it time that Oklahoma State finally pulls the trigger on Mike Gundy? I think it's definitely. They got to eventually make a move, whether it's this year or next year. Uh, they can't be Oklahoma again next year. Is it time for them to let go of Mike Gundy? I'm more on board with I'm Oklahoma board State with um, letting, uh, letting letting Mike Gundy go. <clears throat> because it's just he hasn't had any of the off-field success that Harbaugh has had. That's Jim Harbaugh makes up for his poor performance on the field by getting great guys and, and building the reputation of Michigan's football program. If you remember back to the summer when there was no sports going on, Oklahoma State, the biggest news coming out of them was the fact Chuba Hubbard didn't want to play for Mike Gundy because of the, the OAN shirt, well, regardless of how you feel about the – the situation surrounding it, it, there's just been a lot more, it, a lot more drama off the field with Gundy. 
I mean, he's got one of – I think he's got one of the best press conference moments with the I'm a man, I'm 40 rant. That was hilarious. <laughs> Other than that, what else has he contributed to college football besides having the best year on the side – best hair on the sidelines for however long he's been the head coach? <laughs> well, you know, my God, that mullet's got to go. You know, it's, it's been sticking. I think he's going to keep it until his records don't stand anymore. Because Doesn't he hold records passing at Oklahoma State? Yeah, he holds a record. You know, he's from Midwest City, where I where I reside at, and he he went to uh, to Midwest City High School. Yeah, he holds almost every man. But you know, of course, he's doing what uh, what he couldn't do as a player. You know, he can't beat Oklahoma. He's zero and four as a player. He's two and fourteen as a coach. Uh, he was a decent football player. I will say that. Um, but uh, eventually, Oklahoma State's got to get rid of. He's an all-a-moderate and so on and so forth, and uh, they're going to have to go eventually find someone. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of assistants stick out and whether or not those assistants, because I think if Joe Brady wasn't getting interest with from the Saints, he probably would have been a guy looking at to fill one of the college football vacancies. It'll be interesting to see what kind of assistants pop their heads up for some of these jobs that could – some of the jobs that you didn't necessarily think were going to be open going into the season, uh, there's always a few of those, and I'm interested to see who kind of leads the pack and, and gets hired out of this the crop this year. Well, I am, I am too. You know, you look at the – at least the first – definitely in the Big 12, um, I think Matt Campbell at Iowa State, I think he's a hot commodity. He's done a phenomenal job at Iowa State, um, beating Oklahoma in two of the last three years. You know, he's done phenomenal at Iowa State. I think you can, you can definitely see him making a move. Um, I still think Mike Gunny's on the hot seat, especially took place Saturday night uh, in Norman. I think Tom Herman in Texas is an interesting one. Um, you just don't when, – when people say he's on a hot seat, he wins, and when he's not on the hot seat, he loses. I just don't know who they would go after at this point. Um, yeah, and that's that's the thing about college football coaches too, not to cut you off, but uh, they they work – professional coaches, they, they have a tough job because they have to try and figure out game plans against the greatest athletes in the world. College coaches – struggle because you work year round like there's no off season when you're a college football coach because you have summer camp in august season through the fall and hopefully you end the season in february and you start winter workouts again you're recruiting for the next class to come in for the summer and then you go right into spring ball so there's no break in between anything for college football coaches so when schools that should fire coaches like michigan like oklahoma state texas with tom herman the, you're going to have to worry about how much that derails everything outside of football more than you worry about what it's going to do on the field. Most definitely. Cause I mean, again, you know, I know we're, we're, well, technically we should be wrapping it up the college for, but we'll be a few weeks behind, but, but no, um, no, I'm with you on that one. Uh, I think this year, I think a lot of, I, I do. And I think you nailed it earlier. A lot of coaches are going to get a pass just because it is COVID year. Do I think some of these coaches probably should like a Mike Gundy or even a Tom Herman? Probably not, but that's going to be the school's decision on that one. Um, but um, I know Will Muschamp at South Carolina, obviously he bit the dust. It's going to be interesting what happens 
of course, um, we got a question, <laughs> and throughout the show, uh, we will have questions upon questions that was sent in. The first one, uh, sticking with the college football, is from our good buddies from the Unhinged Sports Network. Uh, the question is, what's more likely to happen, Boise State and BYU joining the Big 12 or Oklahoma and Texas leaving? Oklahoma and Texas. Oh, wow. I... With the TV deals and everything that the conferences are trying to work out, uh, it's more difficult, I would say, to call this one. I, I would almost say that BYU getting affiliated, BYU and Boise being affiliated with the Big 12, probably more likely than, than Oklahoma and Texas to drop out. Um, those are two of the lifebloods of, those, of that conference. I know it's not always been the Big 12, but it the Big 12 is basically the old Southwestern Conference minus a few schools. So I, I think that it'd be a big blow to college football if they left the Big 12. So I'd say I'm hoping for, and I think it's more likely BYU and Boise join the conference and Oklahoma and Texas drop. I'm with you on that one. I don't see OU Texas. Um, you know, they're, they're the ones at the end of the day, all decisions are practically, I'm sure, gone, go through them. You know, Commissioner Bowlesby, I'm sure, obviously, he has a final say. But, you know, let's be honest. They, I'm sure they, they ask Oklahoma, Texas, hey, what should we do on this and this and that and something else? Um, no, Boise State and BYU, I think, are definitely more likely to happen. Will it happen? I really don't know. But uh, I think that's BYU at a conference first. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I just don't see OU Texas leaving. The other day. They got the upper 12. Um I just I think boys and BYU joins more logic, even though I would love to see Cincinnati in the Big Twelve. Um, I do miss Colorado being in the Big Twelve. I do miss Colorado. Oh, trust me, I haven't followed CU since they left. OU has not done well in Boulder. I do miss the buff buffs in the in the Big Twelve. But yeah, so the Unhinged Sports Network crew. I'm going, I think it's unanimous, Boise, BYU, join the Big 12, even though I don't know if that's going to happen either. Yeah, neither of them, most likely neither, but if one were to happen, that's the one. Most definitely so. Um, another one that was messaged in. What are your guys' – who are your guys' favorite college football team and what are the odds for next season past COVID? Uh, um, uh, if you're going off of the team that I probably followed the most growing up, it would be – uh, Oklahoma State, actually. I was a big fan. I like orange and black. I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan, too. Uh, so when I was a kid, I liked orange and black. So I, I do like the Cowboys. Followed them pretty heavily and uh, rooted for them when they beat, T. I think it was TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, no, it was Stanford in the Fiesta Bowl. So I, I like them a lot. Um, it, it honestly might come down to a coaching decision. They maybe just need to shake things up since he's, Gundy's been there for so long. But they don't 
they got to either try and be Oklahoma or they got to try and be the kryptonite to Oklahoma. I feel the same way about Texas. For for anybody outside of Oklahoma to win the Big 12, you either got to do what Oklahoma does better than they do it or you got to be able to stop uh, Lincoln Riley in that offense. Who He's been able to do it with everybody from Baker Mayfield to Spencer Rattler now. So it's not like it's an easy thing to do anyways, but it's you either got to load up to beat them or you got to try and out, outrun them. Um, anybody in the Big 12. That's what West Virginia did, um, and it's kind of what Baylor did last year. They were more of the anti-Oklahoma playing really good defense. So those are the two ways that any any school besides Oklahoma is going to win the Big 12. Moving forward, and uh, to answer that question, uh, Oklahoma, born, you know, grew up a Sooner, die as a Sooner. Now, I remember those days watching with my grandpa, who's no who's longer with us, but I remember watching uh, Thanksgiving weekend. There's always, not always, but sometimes there's Texas A&M or so on and so forth. Um, Texas, you know, Ricky Williams, when he was the running back at A&M, that, that tells you how long goes that, that goes back. Um, but now Sooner, for sure. In regards to 21, just continue to improve. Uh, like Marvin Mims, that dude's going to be a stud. Uh, if he keeps this up, he'll definitely be playing on Sundays. Uh, Spencer Rattler's continuing to improve. He just needs to kind of work his work his magic in regards to making just bad decisions, hold on to the ball too long. Don't make plays out of, you know, if there's nothing there, don't make something happen. Uh, defense looks good. Uh, I know that um, Lincoln Riley is recruiting well. Next year's class looks to be pretty well, uh, pretty good as well. So, just continue to improve. And Lincoln Riley and offense is and Alex Grinch's defense. They're starting to click, and we'll see. I think next year probably better chance to go for that college football playoff. And who knows? Maybe we can get number seven um, or number eight at this point. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens for uh, Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma next year. That's that's a good spot to be in for Oklahoma because you go from Bob Stoops and he leaves suddenly and then Lincoln Riley steps in and he's just as good or possibly better. Uh, being in the college football playoff, I think four out of six years or something like that. I mean, you, you think that switching over to the college football playoff, you thought that Oklahoma would struggle with that. No, they've actually thrived. Yeah, they actually strive. I get people like they they have you know, they lost the first round every time they get. Okay, I get that, but you know, and, and what's funny is is the fact that a lot of teams would love to be in the position that Oklahoma's in, or even Alabama, or the Clemson's. You know, trying to get there helps your recruiting, but no, you know, you look at Oklahoma um, when we lost to Saron Watson's Clemson's team in the Orange Bowl. First half was wonderful. Second half was crap. Uh, Georgia, I'm just gonna be honest with you. That's one of the greatest that was the, games I've ever watched. Oh, absolutely. And I kid you oh, not, once the game ended, I was literally my adrenaline just poofed. I was like just dead to the world. Um, I still think Oklahoma was a better team, but, you know, Georgia prevailed. Alabama and LSU was just on a different level, um, especially LSU. That was just – Nobody was going to stop that offense. No. I didn't care if you had the best defense in the history out there. Nobody was going to stop Joe and and uh, Justin Jefferson, and the list goes on and on. Um, no, there was not going to be any – no, nobody's going to stop them. Uh, last one in regards to college football, well, sort of. Uh, who's your Heisman favorite this year, and should we consider a Heisman with the COVID? 
with the COVID? Uh, I, I think still have a Heisman. It's going to, if you're, it's the same way that we're talking about it for the playoff. If you have a shortened season, you just got to be spectacular. And the Heisman winner every year should be spectacular, I think. That's it's the most important award that you can win um, in college football. So I think it still should be around as to a favorite. Justin Fields made a pretty good case to jump up, up a few spots on the list this past weekend. Um, that was a pretty impressive win, even though he did look kind of bad at times. I was saying Trevor Lawrence, and he was he was going for that this year before, he, obviously, he went out with COVID, and then um, the, their game got canceled this past weekend. So he, I think he's kind of falling off. Losing those games hurts. Uh, there's probably a running back that I'm missing somewhere. I thought Chuba Hubbard was going to be up there going into the season. He's kind of – he's underperformed – um, but I don't think it's probably going to go to field at this point. Maybe they put in a quarterback for Cincinnati, Desmond. I can't think of his last name, but he's he's been having a great season. So maybe maybe he's there. But I do think that Fields is probably his year to lose it. Uh, in regards to COVID, yeah, I mean you got to continue. I get it's COVID season, but let's let's continue to move on. In regards to Heisman, I thought you know Trevor. Um, I mean, I guess theoretically, I guess he could. I think Justin Fields is my leading candidate, but uh, Trask from Florida, I think, is starting to make some move. And Ian Book sure doesn't get much respect or much recognition at Notre Dame. Um, phenomenal performance against Clemson. He's actually played pretty decent this year. Uh, I think Ian Book could make a run. I think it's just, I'm, I'm with you though. Uh, it's Justin Fields probably to win, but um, or to lose. But I think Trask could definitely make a run if if Ford continues to play well. Mac Jones at Alabama. I don't know if if there's probably a year too early for him. I think next year probably could be his year. Spencer, I think is probably more likely next year. Could be potentially next year. Um, but I think Fields, I mean, Lawrence in a way could still win it. Um, Ian Book I, has a chance. Trask, I think, has a chance. But I think it's, I think it's definitely Fields. Yeah, I, Trask is the hottest quarterback in college football right now. I think that he's he's on a bigger hot streak than Fields. Um, and Florida is one of the, I think, more scary teams. They're in the SEC championship at this point because they beat Georgia, so they're going to represent the East. And I do think that offense is going to make what is a – it's not as good of an Alabama defense. Like Trask is is set up to end this season and be a, a hero forever, like on the likes of Tebow level at Florida. And it's been a while since they had a quarterback since Tebow. They've, they've suffered. They suffered since Tebow. It was supposed to be Will Greer, but then he, you know, he you got caught taking steroids and you got kicked out. So. Yeah, they they missed the quarterbacks um, at Florida, but I think Trask is a good one. Uh, of course, the college football playoff poll came out tonight. Of course, uh, Alabama being number one, Notre Dame two, Clemson three, Ohio State four. Your, top, your last two looking on the outside looking in Texas and Florida. And then rounding up, your top 11 is um, Cincinnati at seven, Northwestern at eight, Georgia at nine, Miami at 10, and Oklahoma at 11. Uh, when you look at that, any surprises on your end, or is this kind of what we expected? 
what we expect. Uh, Texas A&M being in front of Florida is a little bit interesting. Um, the top four is – I think those are the four best teams in the country, so I don't have a problem with that. Cincinnati, I've been banging on the table for Cincinnati to be given more respect, but the way that they almost lost to UCF, I know that's their probably their biggest competition in the conference, but that didn't look great for them. Um, but I was surprised Indiana fell three, I mean, three out of where they were last week in the AP poll. I do think that they're probably still top 10. I would, I would put them ahead of Georgia probably because Georgia's got two losses. Um, I would have had rather had Indiana in the top 10 instead of Georgia. I would definitely agree. I think Florida, I think AM and Florida was interesting for sure. Um, not really surprised with any, well, the 15 below, I'm not really worried about. Obviously, the top four, that's your four best teams in the, in the country. Um, kind of scrolling through the, through the things, you know, a lot of people are kind of, you know, Ohio State should have been three or two. Well, Notre Dame, I think, looks only played four games. Yeah, Notre it's Dame tough to uh, tough to make a case on that. Alabama, I think, is definitely by far probably the, one of the better teams this year. But no, I, I agree with the top four. Uh, Florida A and M is interesting. I definitely would agree on that. And then um, Cincinnati is a really interesting one. Uh, the kind of down that seven. And then. Um, Kind of what's funny is that they did a simulated BCS and to kind of see to show people how that BCS standings look. And uh, right now they had, uh, if this was the BCS standings, it's Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Clemson, Florida, Cincinnati, then AM, BYU, Oregon, and North Top 10. Uh, it's, it's pretty close, actually. It's not the BCS is decided by a computer and a formula, but. At least it's it's close. I think that they should go to an eight-game playoff format. I still think that's the best thing for college football as a whole. I think that it probably could be could be coming. Uh, it's, I think it's a matter of working out a TV deal for that long. But a 18 playoff, especially in a year like this year. But going back, I think last year, I I've been having this d- discussion for a while as to what the college football playoff should be. I, if they expand it to 16 teams, I wouldn't mind it. But if you go back to last year's rankings, you get <clears throat> LSU-Alabama rematch in the first round. And then uh, Georgia and Florida would play again in the first round of an 18 playoff series. That's college football. It, it, it does have its top teams, but there's always a few that can surprise you. Every year. Oh, absolutely. And, I, I, I kind of hope that we see expansion here soon, um, whether or not that obviously it's not going to be this year. Even a lot of people are hoping for it. But I, I think here in the next few years, I, I hope that we expand it. I would like to see eight at least. You know, I, know they, I know I read some article a while back that potential six. No, I want to make it an even eight. Um, yeah, that makes six doesn't make sense. No, the six. And I think that logic was a top two teams receive a first round by and let the other four play out. But um, no, definitely make it to top eight and uh, and let everybody run you know, run with it. But hopefully in the future we can see that. I think it's they fall. I think we've got something going here, but it's just still a few, few nicks that they got to work out. But I think they're getting there. Just. Uh, I think they're getting let's just let's just expand it a little bit. Let's just, let's just expand yeah, it. that would make because then you get all five Power Five conference champions in 
you get two two spots for the best teams, the Alabamas who lose in the SEC championships or, or give or take, and then you can uh, designate one one spot in that eight for the for a group of five conference champion. Um, and if you have that format, then you see UCF playing in the college football playoff a few years ago when they claimed their national championship, and this year it would be uh, probably Alabama. Um, I'll say Notre Dame just because they beat Clemson already, Ohio State, and um, whoever wins the Pac-12 and Big 12 plus Cincinnati plus these, you know, Florida, Texas A&M who only have one loss. So I think that that probably makes the most sense. And then I just overskipped a question. I know it's mainly in regards to the AFC North. Um, but uh, Rev – Coca, K-O, at Rev Coca. It is the bizarre possibilities of the 2020 college football playoff in regards to surprise questions still being undefeated. Um, I would say Northwestern, I guess, would still be a surprise team. I'm actually more surprised with how Indiana has played. Yeah, Northwestern is – Pat Fitzgerald has been really putting in a good culture in Northwestern. So them being undefeated shouldn't be that much of a surprise anymore. Um, Indiana, I really – Tom Allen's probably my favorite head coach in college football this season. He – his post-game speech that he gave uh, after the Ohio State loss, it's still it, – I'm not that far removed from playing myself. It, it got me fired up. I got some <laughs> adrenaline going from that. He's he's an awesome head coach, and it's finally paying off and having a playmaker at quarterback in Penix Jr., and that defense is something else. Indiana just has to keep, keep bolstering their skill positions because they don't have the weapons. That's the main thing that, that you saw on Saturday against Ohio State. You just don't have the weapons to – Justin Fields able to throw to guys ten yards open, but you can't. You got you got guys that can't get three yards of separation. So that's that's the difference there. Absolutely, and um, I think that the, Absolutely, and um, I would I probably see. I could see Northwestern being undefeated, but uh, Indiana. I think um, the bizarre possibilities uh, of a twenty twenty college football playoff. If if he's in regards to Northwestern, if that's where he's going with this, I don't see that happening. Um, I don't really see any bizarre possibilities unless as long as the top four win out, which I know that the uh, ACC can't because you'll still have a rematch in Clemson and Notre Dame. Um, I think uh, Northwestern would have to be Northwestern would have to be undefeated conference champions. So they'd have to beat Ohio State in the conference championship to even be considered um if it's if you're the Big Ten or Pac-12, if you're not undefeated and don't win your yeah, conference championship, not. you're you're not even in the in in discussion. Now here's a good possibility. Um, I don't see it because of where they're sitting at number eleven. Your thoughts, and I think I asked uh, Daryl, who was on the show last week. Um, not much track. We were going off of the what ifs with Bedlam. At sitting at number 11, of course, they still need a humongous. They're in a great running position for now in uh, the playing the big championship. As long as they win out, they're in. But in the long term, what would you what would your chances give to Oklahoma being the Big 12's chance to get in a college football playoff? Or is it just too far, a little too far too late for the Sooners and even the Big 12 for that matter? Uh, I said it. We recorded uh, our podcast it. last night, and I told Nico that was the Big 12's last chance. Um, they had to hope for Oklahoma State to be a one-loss conference champion, 
in order to kind of sneak their way in. And then they'd also have to hope Notre Dame loses a game somewhere and loses in the conference championship. There, there had to be total chaos at the top for the Big 12 to even get in with Oklahoma State being one loss. Uh, it's it's um, only playing a conference schedule is different for most of these schools. And then playing, beating each other up in the conference where you have Texas losing to Oklahoma, beating Oklahoma State, Oklahoma kind of running the table. Um, except for a couple almost fluke games, you could call them. So it's a weird year. I thought that this was a good year for maybe one of the teams that haven't been winning the conferences to step up and and take that next step. And I thought Oklahoma State was on their way. But without them, and now that everybody that could win the conference has two losses, I think it's too little too late. I would agree. And um, I know our buddy of mine, he was texting me early asking what my thoughts were. I just tell him they need a lot of help. Uh, I mean, a lot of help. Um, I, I'm not even going to break it down to what Oklahoma would have to happen. But let's just say the top remaining 10 would have to lose once or twice or three times. And we're wrapping up the season. And that's just not going to happen. But, you know, got to give credit to Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley, you know, regardless of what happens the rest of the year. Uh, starting off the Big 12 0 and 2 and getting right back in the position to where they could potentially win yet another Big 12 championship uh, just shows just shows the caliber coach that he has and the and the talent that Oklahoma has in regards to um, you know practically not giving it they could have I four overtime thriller in Dallas against Texas really jump started uh, this team. Yeah, that was the turning point. Um, I thought Oklahoma was going to go in the tank, but that I should have known that culture is way too strong. Uh, Oklahoma football culture is something different. I'm, I'm sure I, w- I hope one day when everything opens back up, I can go experience it. But you can't uh, you can't expect a team that's been that successful uh, with the talent that they have just fall off the face of the earth. It was it was naive of most people to think that. Yeah, I'll definitely say I was there Saturday um, because of the the work that I do. So I was there Saturday, and I'll tell you what, it wasn't full capacity at 91,000, but I I can guarantee there was about 45,000, and that place was as loud as it was would have been if it was 91,000, and uh, it's a great environment. Uh, Saw a lot of fights, which was no surprise. I heard, uh, I read an article that the student man, that the student equipment manager from Oklahoma State got beat up, but um, I guess that took place in the stands. But uh, those people that were the uh, the the bad boys with Oklahoma, they did uh, get banned for life at all athletic events, which rightfully so should have happened. I don't definitely don't condone that, but uh, I guess the OSU equipment guy is okay, I hope. But um, yeah, it's definitely an experience to, it's definitely a place to experience, regardless if you're a senior fan or not, just to, the, the uh, tradition and, and the history of that uh, beautiful stadium down there. Yeah, I got to go to a Bedlam football game, and then I got to go to a Bedlam wrestling match. I, I wrestled pretty much my whole life, so I, that's why also why I like Oklahoma State because they're, they are the wrestling oh, yeah. in the country. Yeah, they, they have a number in wrestling, and yeah, rightfully they, they so. They're, they're definitely the best in the Big 12. I know, and even national-wise, Penn State, Iowa, Minnesota, they do pretty well as well. And, of course, uh, um OSU's not too far behind them. So, now I'll definitely give them a credit in, the, in um, Oklahoma State wrestling. They're, they're definitely by far one of the best ones out there. Yeah, that's why that's why I like them, and that's why I've, I've stuck with them. But it's 
I'm honestly just a college football fan at this point. I like seeing – I I root more root for players. I don't necessarily root for school because I, I wasn't a huge CU fan or CSU fan growing up in Colorado. Um, and I went to a school, but it's D2, so I can have a – I don't have to have a favorite D1 team. Um, so I just kind of more watch for the games to be good and the players and see who's going to be good at the next level. Absolutely. I mean, that's nothing wrong with that. And in college football, I think is, is it won't be as big as the NFL, but it's, it's starting to get, get there to an extent. I think it's really a big time market. Um, with the NFL, of course, you know, not going to, you know, whether you agree or not agree with what the players do during the national anthem and don't do during the national anthem. That's, that's beside the point, but um, I think college football is definitely a big time market and I think it's just going to get bigger. A lot of money gets starting to get poured into this, uh, I would say league, but it's more of a national conference, but um, we'll see what happens. Uh, hopefully finish out the year. Uh, we'll see what takes place in the college Cross our fingers next year that uh, that uh, we get a full schedule because I know I would love to see and hopefully take my dad down to Norman next year. Uh, Nebraska and Oklahoma uh, will play next year. Hopefully, hopefully cross fingers we have a full season and, and actually have a football season. He's a big time Nebraska fan, so uh, I feel bad for him though. What's your thoughts on Nebraska? <laughs> I know it. Scott Frost does get this COVID. COVID, I'll give him the COVID pass, but uh, yeah, uh, he did, he did, he got the save yeah, in the season, did. but his, his his season's been pretty rough. I don't know if he wants to play anymore, honestly. <laughs> and uh, my dad, I mean, I'll give a I will give a shout out to Luke McCaffrey though. He's been playing pretty well at quarterback and a Colorado guy. My family's not too too big a fan of him and his and his dad, but. <laughs> He's actually playing well. Luke McCaffrey, uh, yeah, he looks like a stud. Um, not taking anything away from Martinez, but uh, yeah, stud from Nebraska. Hopefully, maybe that be their answer at quarterback. But uh, it's just uh, hard to imagine before we switch gears to Denver. It's just hard to imagine that a Nebraska team, uh, even in the Big Twelve, you know, their their program was starting to feel so when Bill Callahan was head coach at Nebraska. You know, I, I thought. Frank Solich got robbed. Uh, he went 11-1, got fired. I'm, I'm sure there was more behind-the-scenes stuff than there was that we know about. But then bringing Bill Callahan, of course, he really didn't do anything. He was wanting to change Nebraska to West Coast style and so on and so forth. And then they finally lost to Kansas and they lost to OSU. And, and then they, of course, get to the Big Ten. And, boy, I, I don't know what to think about their program. They – I don't know what lost to anybody and everybody at this point. Yeah, they're deep into a rebuild. And that whole school kind of – all their athletic programs aren't as good as they have been. Even in uh, – go back to the 2000s, mm -hmm. there were good Nebraska football teams and good Nebraska mm – -hmm. I'm going to go back to wrestling because that's the other college sport I watch. But the whole kind of athletic department seems to be down for them. And it's – I'm not sure what's going to pull them out of it. Um them leaving the Big 12 was another big hit because they were, I would say they're not, they weren't original members, but they were one of the other life lifeblood programs in that conference and them not being in that, in the Big 12 doesn't make sense anymore. So I think it's, it's just a weird time to be a Nebraska, Nebraska sports fan. Uh, for the new university. Absolutely. And, and coach Osborne, I'm sure Absolutely. is cringing, but do you think what's your on your personal take? 
Do you think the Big Twelve? Big Twelve. Do you think Nebraska regrets leaving the Big Twelve? Knowing what they know now. Knowing what they know now. Yeah, probably. I think. Uh, if you would have been able to tell them, hey, Ohio State's going to become one of the dynasty programs in the country, you're probably never going to win the conference. Uh, but let's not think about that because you can barely win five games in the conference. Um, and you were already established so well in the Big 12 and Rose Bowl and everything like that. But it, it would probably make more sense for them to just stay uh, in the Big, tw- Big 12 at this well, point. Well, going back to the expansion, if the Big 12 wants well, to expand, which I don't know, they may or may not right now. I, I don't know if that's even going to be an option. If they if they do expand, <laughs> all jokes aside, do you, do, do you think that uh, Nebraska might be calling the number back again? Do you think that Nebraska might be calling the number back again? Oh, that it depends. I think big the Big Ten has a pretty heavy investment in Nebraska. Um, that was part of the reason why Frost he did come out and say they'd play without a conference, and then the Big Ten kind of came back and said, "No, you won't. Uh, we pay this, this, and this." So, I think that the it'll be tough for Nebraska to want to leave. The Big Ten would have to want to give them up for Nebraska to leave at this point. Well, hopefully Nebraska, you know, I got I got respect for them, even though they are the old Big Eight rivalry of Oklahoma. And then, of course, when they went to the Big 12, playing them every two years, that was nonsense. But um, but in the meantime, of course, and a good buddy of mine, he does a – strictly he does a Nebraska football podcast. Hopefully he'll listen. Maybe he'll want to come on and – I can pick his personal brain of Nebraska and what should Nebraska do moving forward. Of course, giving Scott Frost the uh, the yellow slip. We'll give him the yellow slip this year. The COVID pass. Um, so we'll see. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, that'll be. That's a program I'm interested to see if they'll turn around or not. But uh, it's. Uh, I'm not not too hopeful. No, it's. Um, yeah, the way that they're playing, uh, you know, I still think McCaffrey's young kid. He'll he'll get better, but uh, yeah, Nebraska is no position to win the championship. Um, over or under? Who? No, he's not over or under. Who wins? Who wins a championship first? Oklahoma State or Nebraska in their own uh, own own conferences? That's probably Oklahoma State, just because they're so much closer already. Um, yeah, they they honestly should have probably competed for the conference championship. They still could. Who knows what happens with Texas moving forward? But um, Nebraska, like I said, you got to get got to work to be bowl eligible every year before you can work to be a conference contender every year. I agree. And uh, speaking of um, competition and, and uh, trying to win championships, of course, it's been a while since. Championship in the AOC West. Uh, it's been a long, long last few years for us in Broncos country. Your thoughts on Drew Locke's performance so far this season? Um, of course, you are right dab in Denver, uh, so you get a little more publicity in regards to the ins and outs of what's going on uh, during practice, and of course, uh, from compared to what I can see here in Oklahoma City, um, what's the feel? What's the feel around Denver? And about Drew Lock, and has there been rumblings of potentially or trying to get John Elway to draft another quarterback? I would say the reaction for Locke is split at this point, just like it is for most of the guys on the team. You have people who love him and people who hate him. Um, he's honestly, it's the same way that he's played 
pretty much this season. There's times where he looks like he is the next guy. There's times where he looks like uh, he should still be playing at Missouri because he, he's not ready to be an NFL quarterback. So uh, as to the reaction to him so far, it's been pretty split. There are guys who think that they should draft the quarterback. It, I do think that Locke is fi- playing for his career, but I don't think that his career as a starter for the Broncos would end next year. It probably probably be the following year. Um, just because they've already played themselves out of a quarterback pick. Uh, looking at if the season were to end today, they're four and six. They'd have the 15th overall pick. There's no. not 15 quarterbacks worthy of being drafted in this year's NFL draft. So I don't think drafting a quarterback, possibly bringing in some free agency help um, uh, and see who kind of pops towards the end of the season for competition. A lot of people think that if he has a legitimate quarterback competition, that'll help kind of straighten him out because there are times where he's playing and it just looks like he fell asleep and, and doesn't want to do the right things and get the offense going in the right direction. But if he wakes up, I mean, we saw what happened. He, he got the game winner against Los Angeles. He he looked great at the end of last season. That's why everybody loved him so much going into this year. So if, if he would kind of get focused, that would go a long way in figuring out what Drew Locke is going to be for the Broncos. Most likely. And, you know, you look at, uh, you know, Drew Locke, and I'm still on the Drew Locke bandwagon. Of course, he's still a young kid and and still going through his first full season. Of course, 4-1 and one last year and looked phenomenal. Of course, people always say, well, he sucked against Kansas City. Well, let's be honest, it's Kansas City. A lot of Exactly. Everybody looks bad against Kansas City, especially when it's blizzard conditions and windy and everything else. But uh, besides that, Drew Locke looked good last year, coming in this year. He's kind. Of, he reminds me kind of like a like a Spencer Rattler, not obviously athleticism, but the fact of staying in the pocket too long, holding the ball too long, um, passes that that shouldn't be thrown, or so on and so forth. He's he's also not getting help from Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer up until this past weekend has been terrible at game planning for Drew Locke. It, Drew Locke's the kind of quarterback where you put a cap on the amount of times that he's going to throw, no matter what. Cap him at 30 because if he throws over 30, you're already going to lose. Well, Pat Shermer, I, I really wasn't a very good hire, uh, f- fond of the hire. I don't know what your take was on that, but I wasn't really excited when we hired him as an offensive coordinator. I wasn't really excited when we hired him as an offensive coordinator. He, he got a chance <clears throat> way too early. They moved on from Donatel or not Donatel mm-hmm. Scangarello too fast. Um, because he he did start to put stuff together, and you finally he didn't have his franchise quarterback for the first three quarters of the season. You finally give it to him at the end. They look good together, and then you go ahead and fire him. That didn't make any sense. Um, so I don't, I didn't agree with Pat Shermer as the best choice, but he also shouldn't have been in that, uh, been in that situation. I tweeted out, "It's been a while," and I got a lot of Bronco fans that didn't like the idea. I got a lot of other fans from another fan base that definitely didn't like the idea. Of course, I was just being just, I just threw the idea out there. I wasn't being serious. I'm like, hey, let's just see what people would think. So I may take, I'm going to pick your brain on here for a second. So probably, oh my God, it might have been. So probably, oh my God, it might have been. Boy, what game was that? Might have been Kansas City. What game was that? But anyway, I think it was Kansas City. But anyway, I tweeted out. I think it was Kansas City. Drew Locke needs a coach. 
a head coach or even an offensive coordinator, doesn't matter, pick or choose, or both, that can absolutely work with him and mold him, I think he'll be better than he is currently right now. I mentioned Lincoln Riley. Now, in this case, <clears throat> with our youth, of course, with um, TJ Hamler, of course, Jerry Judy, you know, Cortland, we get him back next year. Uh, well, Fant, I like our running back to an extent. Um, Melvin Gordon probably was played his better game last week against Miami. What would your (laughs) first of all? I know it's not going to happen. Lincoln Riley makes a lot of money down here. They would have to make they would have to make him a seven, eight, nine, ten million dollar offer and probably fire John Airway, make him the GM, or just take that away from John and so on and so forth, probably to get Lincoln to Denver. What would your thoughts on be a potentially pursuing if that was even an option? Uh, Lincoln Riley coming to Denver. Uh, Lincoln Riley coming to Denver. That's I I struggle because you never know what you're gonna get from yep. a guy who goes from college to the pros. Um, Matt Rule is the exception this year. I think he's been great in Carolina, and I didn't wasn't sure how it was going to go when he moved on from Baylor last year, but that's been working out. But you more often than not get Pete Carroll, but Pete Carroll the first time, Mm -hmm. or Nick Saban, where they go up and don't know how to coach professionals. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Lincoln Riley can do that. He he does seem more like a college coach. He doesn't seem like a guy – and he, he's also not old enough. That That's a problem that a lot of guys run into when you don't have the seniority anyways over the guys that you're coaching. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to um, do what you want them to do and build the culture that you want to build. So I don't think – I actually don't think that Lincoln Riley would be a good fit in the NFL, not even not even just for the Broncos. Just no, I don't think so either. I think he more than – I heard it on a local <clears throat> radio show um, this uh, this afternoon headed back from – from work to home, and you know he's only—I think he's 32 years old. And of course, you know he came out to his press conference today and said what he said. And I think that what helps him recruit, and you nailed it, is one he's not old enough, especially in the pros. But he—he's better called because he can relate to the younger kids because he knows that social media is going to run rule this, and that you can do this, and kind of just be yourself, and this, that, and something else. Could we see him in the NFL? I don't know. Um, uh, I hate saying this. I think Dallas would be the only – Dallas probably, I guess, down the road when Jerry Jones realizes that he needs to fire himself as every position that he has in the front office. Um, I just don't see Lincoln – maybe cool in Denver, I guess, um, but just because obviously being fan bias on that one. But, <clears throat> no, I, I don't think Lincoln leaves Oklahoma. I mean, let's be honest, when you make six, seven mil a year, I wouldn't leave Oklahoma when you got that thing you're competing for. I've seen his office. I'd live I'd live in his oh, office before yeah. I'd leave leave for the NFL. <laughs> oh, man. His, yeah, when they show – I think I, Bob Stoops kind of joked. He said, yeah, that was my office for like a month or something like that. That's a very nice office. And from what I heard, it's supposed to expand the stadium some more and so on and so forth but you know it's uh he he's got a gold mine down here and i would hate for him to lose that over something that he might be fired two three years into the league yeah he seems like a the same guy guy that coached for ou too barry switzer like he lincoln riley can transition to the nfl by the time he's old and just doesn't care anymore that's what barry 
because everybody says Barry Switzer in college was a uh, legalitarian, like no nobody does anything that I don't say. And then when he got to the Cowboys, he didn't care. So it, I think that's more where I see Riley Riley going um, instead of he's not going to be a Matt Rule where he goes right away. No, Matt Rule, um, I was a little surprised. I'm not going to be honest. I knew he was no, mentioned for the Giants uh, job year previous. But he's done a phenomenal job at Carolina. Well, heck, he's done a phenomenal job at Temple. He's done a phenomenal job at Baylor. Of course, you know, he was a few plays away from defeating Oklahoma. Well, technically, he should have beat Oklahoma both times last year. But um, you look at Denver, four and six, sitting third in the – in the AOC West, AOC West that's going to be loaded for years and years to come, especially at the quarterback position. Looking at the schedule now, um, we're home against the Saints this week. We go, of course, we go to Kansas City. We go to Charlotte to play um, Carolina. We're home against Buffalo. We're at LA, and then we're home against Las Vegas to finish out the season. At four and six, playoffs are starting to thin out, but it's not immediate, you know, elimination. But we're not we're not too far behind from getting to that point that we got to win some games. Going four and six, what's your take on the remaining schedule? Of course, it's not going to be an easy one. Uh, Saints are good. The, well, we all know the Chiefs. Uh, Panthers have played well. The Bills are, are starting to play well. The Chargers are even looking better, with death, especially with Justin Herbert at the quarterback helm. Las Vegas, of course, um, getting thrown by them two weeks ago. If we win a game or two, who would you think we could easily – or not easily, but who we could upset? Or could this be a really tough, tough final six games? I think it's tougher than it looks on paper. Um, The Panthers and the Chargers on paper shouldn't be competitive, but we all know that they're going to be. If I was looking at the Broncos' schedule, I'm not worried about making playoffs. I would be more worried about trying to split the the last six games. So I think the Saints, Chiefs, and Bills are my never-going-to-happen – It'll happen on a cold day in hell at the end of the year because I don't think that those are teams that you're just ready to beat, especially with the injuries um, at this point. But the the Panthers, the Chargers, and the Raiders, maybe the Raiders are starting to be to be more in that upper echelon of teams. But those those three games are the games that I could see maybe the Broncos having to scrap and pull out victories. Yeah, a good buddy of mine. He's a diehard Buffalo fan. I mean, diehard. Um, he's got a tattoo on his arm. He you kind of got to be diehard when you go to yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I, I, I give him credit. I mean, he he's diehard Bill fan, of course. I always bring that up, and he gets emotional. He doesn't cry, but he gets a little irritated. But you know, you, you got to poke at it. Um, but uh, but anyway, you know, I hope he doesn't hear this. But uh, you know, him and I are kind of going at it closer to closer to time to build Barcos, and he says Bills ain't gonna, you know, the Bills are going to blow us out. Like, yeah, you know, whatever. But anyway, um, no, I think the Bills going to be a tough one. Of course, Kansas City and Arrowhead fans are no fans. Kansas City is just an excellent team, top to bottom. I think we could probably beat the Panthers, even though they're playing some good football. I think we could probably beat the Panthers, even though they're playing some good football. It all depends on if uh, McCaffrey is yeah, hopefully, the Panthers. Hopefully. 
<laughs> he won't be. Well, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, that's that's a big X factor because I don't think anybody that defense has played well and it's kept kept the Broncos in games, but there's nobody on that defense who can keep up with McCaffrey running or in pass coverage. Um, I think if you get him back, um, well, no, and uh, I'm afraid I that he easily could be. Back, you know, the Panthers are. I'm not I'm trying to pull up the NFC side. Be, they're not too far. Um, they're not too far. Uh, I think they're four and seven. The Panthers are. They're uh, kind of hanging around. Uh, I guess by the time, I'm sure, but it depends on when that game kicks off. With the season looks like they may or may not play them, but. You look at the AFC West, would you say, safe to say, I know I'm getting close to on that bandwagon chip. Uh, no, saying that this is probably could be one of the better com- uh, conferences, better divisions that is in the NFL. Of course, it's surely not the NFC East. Um, that we could easily see, especially with the quarterbacks, um, Herbert and with the Chargers, Mahomes, um, being with Kansas City, Carr, even though you always hear these stupid rumors, he wants out, Raiders, he wants to stay, whatever, whatever. And of course, Locke, you know, you got four young quarterbacks. Is it safe to say that this could be a really challenging division for years to come? I think uh, with the contract Mahomes signed, that solidified the AFC West is always having some somewhat of a chance to be a contender, kind of like with Elway and the Broncos mm-hmm. back back in the day. They were always going to be – they're never too far out of the division race. So I think that solidified it. Um, and then with the, what the Raiders have done, we all laughed at John Gruden when he traded away Khalil Mack. Well, what he's been able to do and the culture that he's brought in, he's worth that gigantic contract that the Raiders gave him because he's established a culture and identity, got him through a tough transition and moving from uh, California to Vegas. And now he's got a big physical offensive line. That team, they're, they're my, one of my scariest teams. If they make it into the playoffs, they're one of the scariest teams in the playoffs because they're built for – um, January football. They're just built to maul you, give the ball to Josh Jacobs. Uh, sorry, Broncos fans, but Devontae Booker wasn't bad because he was just bad. It was the Broncos yep. personnel around him and the way they used him because he's been great for the past couple weeks. The Raiders are one of those teams where they've, they've kind of moved themselves. I'm really impressed with what they've done, even losing on um, Sunday night because you never – other than it being Patrick Mahomes, the Raiders should have won that game on Sunday night. That, that shouldn't have been any question. They did everything right, played a perfect game, yet they just got beat by the, the best player in the league. So the Raiders are definitely a scary team. So I think with the Raiders and Chiefs, the AFC West is is dangerous for anybody. And, and you look at the – of course, going back to that, you know, the Broncos personnel, of course, we – it's, it's, it's interesting – Offensive line, uh, what would you do with Jawan James? I know his contract's outrageously stupid. Um, is there any way we can get out of this thing at the end of this year, or are we stuck with this horrible contract? Is there any way we can get out of this thing at the end of this year? I'm sure if you cut him like you should, it would it would cause a lot of cap space to be taken up with the, the dead cap that you probably promised him. It was a dumb pickup anyways. Uh it's it's really bad. You really have to go after tackles in the draft. It's tough to be able to pull in a – you don't very rarely get the Andrew Whitworths that are just going to come in in free agency and be great for you later in their career. A lot of these guys are on free agency for a reason. They didn't get picked up by the team that just had them. 
so Jawan James should have never been picked up. I would say that the Broncos and, and my team, the Bengals, are the two biggest teams in the tackle market for the draft. Um, maybe get somebody to trade for Jawan James, take up some of that contract, but I think you're just going to have to eat it at this point that that was one of the worst free agency moves John Elway's ever made. Speaking and before we get to the Bengals, Garrett Bowles, he has absolutely, in my opinion, has probably this has played his better years so far as a Bronco. I think, of course, it's Mike Munch, him at the offensive line coach, I think has a lot to do with it. Is it safe to say that we can, we should resign Bowles or not hold on, or should we just see what our other options are out there? Oh, at this point, you should sign Bowles before the end of the season because if you let him get to the end of the season, some other team is going to offer him an absurd, absurd amount of money and you're going to wind up in the same situation when Osweiler left and Peyton retired, where you're just going to be left with uh, – you're going to be up the creek with no paddle, and you're not going to have – you're going to have more holes to fill than you have draft capital or free agency capital. So I would sign him at this point right now. I think that he's played well enough to show you that he can improve. It was always a, a question with him. He's never – or he no. hasn't played football for that long, so he's learning the game learning the technique. Munchak has been able to get his hands on him, and, and now it's two seasons under him, so it looks better. Uh, still a lot of things that he can clean up, but he's at least a piece that you can put at your left tackle position. He might not be the best in the league, but he, he's shown that he can be consistent and not be the reason. You I agree. I think, you know, if you look at Denver's off offensive line, I think the Sanders is, is solidified with Kuzenberry. Which I thought was a phenomenal pickup in the draft last year. I thought getting Lloyd from LSU, I think that was a huge pickup. Um, and of course, I think re-signing Bowles at left tackle. I still think it's our right tackle uh, position is probably still uh, our weakest. But hopefully we can look at the draft this year and uh, and try to get maybe or even free agency. I prefer the draft because it's a young Younger player, cheaper route. You can still build around Drew Locke. You, know, you got a, an offensive line that can practically grow up, if you will, in the league with Drew Locke. But, um, but we'll see what Denver does. And of course, we'll see uh, what John what John Elway especially does during the off season. Your your love your your lovely Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> Oh boy, that's a it's a rough transition. Um, I'll be. I don't know if you've heard. Uh, I'm not a very well uh, fond of Joe Burrow. No, it has nothing to do with the fact that he practically uh, ran over the entire Oklahoma defense with a uh, semi and and continued to drive wheelies around the field. But um, all jokes aside, I'm just not a huge fan of his, but he, he's an excellent athlete nonetheless. Knowing the injuries that he has, ACL, MCL, uh, tears, uh, from my knowledge, I guess there's more damage, not beyond even past that. Um, you're, have you heard on his outlook for next year or even is it is even a chance he plays in 21? One. And then two, what's your take on the Bengals' outlook heading into the offseason? Because needless to say, the playoff race is out of, is out of contention. And where does the Bengals go at this point? Well, the Bengals were in playoff contention two weeks ago. I'll say that. They were two games. I think they were like a game behind the Broncos 
and they were sitting, I think, three back from the last spot in this year's playoffs. So they, it was a playoff run a couple weeks ago. Now, obviously, with Burrow getting hurt and having to turn to Ryan Finley, of all people, that's going to be terrible. I think we're going to – I'm actually rooting for the Bengals to lose out for the rest of the season um, because that would be better in the long run. I think – this is a blessing in the skies for Joe Burrow because he was getting absolutely pounded every single week and taking just a beating. He's already two years, I think, ahead of where anybody thought he was going to be. At, this, at the point where he got injured, he had thrown for over 2,600 yards and 13 touchdowns. So he, he'd outdone expectations, especially on a team as bad as the Bengals. Personnel-wise, the Bengals, I think, are just above the Jets as the bottom of, of the NFL. So I think that he's proven enough that you can say I, I would have actually sat him down anyways for the rest of the season. He doesn't need to play out these games, get mauled by teams that are just better than you. And now you can use this and then lose the rest of your games and then draft the tackle that will be able to protect him. And you can get these guys uh, off the field who are playing offensive line for you right now and thinking that it's good to body slam your defensive tackle onto the left knee of your future franchise quarterback and then roll your 330 pound ass on on top of them as well uh, i'm sorry i don't know if i can yeah you can you're good your show but that's it it was it was just the 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 whole situation like it'll be good for burrow in the long run not having to take as much of a beating and i think we've come so far with acl surgeries it's not that much of a question as to if he'll come back but it's probably a, a good chance that he plays, uh, I'd say, regular season next year, depending on when they start it. But I, it's just a bad situation for the Bengals. But it, they could use this to their advantage. Well, it's definitely, you know, he, he exceeded my expectation. I didn't think, you know, I'm not going to sit there and say he was going to throw for, you know, more interceptions than he was touchdowns. But he definitely looks more of an NFL quarterback than I really thought he would, especially rookie year and given the fact that he has not a very good offensive line, but you know, he took a beating, you know, reminds me so much of an Andrew Luck, um, took a beating in Indianapolis. And I, think, I still think a lot of reasons why his career was real cut short, but um, it's going to be interesting uh, with, with what Cincinnati does. Um, Zach Taylor, of course, not many people know if you do follow football really closely. Of course, Zach Taylor is a Norman, Oklahoma uh, um, person. But you look, uh, look at Cincinnati. What's the first thing you're tackling in next year's draft? Look at Cincinnati. What's the first thing? Offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. I think that they're going to be if they do end up. Finishing out the season like I think, and uh, struggling and losing out. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, struggling <coughs> and losing out. They need to go offensive line first. But if if they lose out, they'd be third pick right now. Uh, and then you have the possibility of tricking a team that I think is going to move on from their quarterback that they've had for a while, like Atlanta or Detroit. You trick them into trading up for your draft pick. You trade down to the position that you want. You acquire a couple other players, and then you draft the tackle that's going to solidify the other side of your offensive line. Because they have Jonah Williams right now from Alabama. Didn't get to play in his rookie year, but he's looked good now that he's been in the games. He's getting some experience at left tackle. They just got to solidify. They, they basically have any other position on the offensive line they can draft, and it'll be an improvement from what they have. They have absolutely nothing right now. Um, and I know I'm, I could sound bitter because I did play 
college football and, and I didn't make it to be any higher level, but honestly what what they've been putting on the field is bad. It's it's an excuse of offensive line play. That's that's what it is at, at this totally point. Totally agree. And um guess we'll see what the, we'll see. What's what's the value for AJ Green? Do you know by chance? We'll see. What's what's the value for AJ Green? I'm not sure what people would say, but if I had to put a value on him right now, coming off of that injury, and then you can see he might have some character stuff with not really trying at points. Still really talented, and if you put him in the right situation, he could be Randy Moss in New England really quickly. So I think it's probably a second to a third-round pick. I don't think that he's a first-round pick anymore just because he's so old, but uh, second or third round pick, I, I could see being the value for him. Get into a lot of NFL questions. <clears throat> Trying to scroll through these. Um, here we go. First one is I want your opinion on what should happen. And we'll probably have a good conversation on this one. I want your opinion on what should happen to Adam Gase. Adam Gase, of course, is the head coach of the winless Jets. Yeah, uh, if you uh, look at who who wrote that question, <laughs> yep. it'll be a familiar last name. That's my my brother. Uh, he's a big Jets fan. Unfortunately, yeah. he followed LT Ladanian Tomlinson from the Chargers to New York, and he had a couple. He had a few good years there uh, with Sanchez and and LT before the butt fumble. They they made it a couple good playoff runs out of it. But uh, at this point, I feel bad for him. I feel bad for the vet fan base as a whole because it doesn't look like the ownership is going to do what they should do. I don't understand how Adam Gase still has a job. You're 0-10. You can't – you have a top five quarterback that you drafted a couple years ago you haven't been able to do anything with, and your talent level of your roster is just absolutely atrocious. It was was bad last year when they had a better defense with uh, C.J. Mosley before he got hurt. They had Leonard Williams and Quentin Williams on the D-line. They're just absolutely decimated at every point now. And I think, as as should Bill O'Brien, they should be fired and then held out of any NFL activities for a couple of years because of their atrocities, what they did to the franchises that they've been working for. Because that's just like trading DeAndre Hopkins and then taking the Jets to where they are now. Those are two things that you shouldn't be allowed to coach in the league. Well, I, I, I would have, and you know, all jokes aside, I would have fired. If I was Joe Douglas, uh, the general manager of the Jets, I would have absolutely fired um, Adam Gase after the loss to Denver. Because let's be honest, and I'm not bashing the team, but he, he lost to a really – well, he lost to well, – practically, what, what were we down to? Our third-string quarterback – we were down. Yeah, yeah. Brett Ripon, he, was, he looked decent, not much of an arm strength kind of guy. Um, but it, I would have fired him up the back because no disrespect, but I don't think either team really. I would have fired him up the back. No, that was a that was a poor game. That was one of those bad Thursday night games. Um, and ended up the Broncos ended up on top, but I think that was just. Like I said, the Jets personnel are, are bad. They, they couldn't beat a third-string NFL quarterback, a guy who probably, uh, other than, you know, he's probably won some competitions. I think Brett Rippon's more of a practice squad quarterback. I don't even really think no, he's a third-string quarterback. So they're not able to beat him. They're, they're as bad as you can get at this point. I don't know if they're going to go winless. It's People underestimate how difficult it is to go 16-0 and how difficult it is to go 0-16 because 
it's an old cliche, but even a blind squirrel does find a nut every once in a while. So I don't know if they'll go winless, but for where they are now, it's going to take years for them to get back. Well, the worst, I mean, all, all the Jets are doing, and unfortunately the fan base, which in New York, they have the most loyal, hardcore fan base. I don't care if you're talking about the Yankees, the Mets, the Knicks, the Islanders, the Rangers, Giants, Jets, doesn't matter. Um, they're all passionate about their teams, and all they're doing is setting back this organization years to come. Um, honestly, the the correct answer should be is firing Adam Gase. Now, what Joe Douglas does at the end of the season, I really don't know. Um, if he happens to fire Adam Gase, he's got them into a – would you consider Jets as the most attractive coaching destinations because of the fact that you got – I think they got multiple first-round picks, um, draft cap, um, draft capital, I should say, and I guess cap space in, in itself. Do you think that draws anybody to New York or do you try to avoid that New York media? Do you think that – Draws anybody to New York? Uh, I think it could be enticing because then you also, I mean, you could use Darnold to possibly maneuver yourself and bring in a quarterback that you want. Uh, but they're they're going to have a first first overall pick, I think. So that's not going to be a problem. Uh, but it, it, it could help out using Darnold as as leverage for the guy that they're going to end up drafting. Um, I think that it could be an attractive division, especially now that you don't have that dynasty in New England and you know that it's probably going to be up for grabs every year, the division title that is. I think that a coach could see themselves wanting to go out there and prove that they can win. Um, so I, I think that the Jets are still a pretty, pretty attractive coaching. Any position. chance Jim Hobb, Michigan Jets? Any chance Jim Harbaugh? Uh, I don't see Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan. I see Jim Harbaugh getting fired from Michigan. Um, and I don't know if he'd survive. I think, honestly, Jim Harbaugh might not be the guy to survive the New York media. Jim Harbaugh might not be a candidate for that job. <laughs> hey, you got to make someone's life just a little bit better. Hey. You gotta make oh, man, that would be – I think he'd crack under the pressure in the first hour. We'd have another Jets head coach resign on the first day. I really actually don't want to do this. Don't want to be here. Thank you. In the You'll just have to go to Walmart, oh, buy some more khaki pants. In the yeah, more cleats, more rubber cleats. Um, the next question, NFL. Um. Uh, a must-win for Baltimore Steelers Ravens rivalry. A must-win for Baltimore. Um, whether or not Cincinnati's doing enough to protect Joe Burrow and the extremely close AFC playoff picture. And the extremely close AFC playoff picture. Uh, well, I think as an AFC North fan uh, and watching the Ravens and Steelers pretty close, I would say that. The Thursday night, if it does happen, because now it's up for grabs as to whether that's going to happen. The Ravens might have an outbreak of COVID, but it is a must win for the Ravens because if you go on a 0-3 streak at this point in the season, you're already the last team looking in at the stand as it sits now. So I think this is a must win for them. I think it's a winnable game because it's at home and the Steelers – the Steelers are bound to lose one of these games because they're letting pretty bad teams hang around. So I, I think that they're bound to lose one. This is one that I think they can. Uh, they, the Steelers have the Bills and the Ravens are the two toughest teams left on their schedule. 
And I do think that the Ravens are a pretty good team. They're struggling this year because yep. teams are catching up to them. But this is a must-win game for the Ravens, and it's a game that the Steelers can't afford to to give up at this point. No, Steelers, I, th- I still think comes out swinging. You know, even with the aging ben, Big Ben, I think the Steelers they but they're keeping these teams that they shouldn't around, which I think is going to eventually cost them. Lamar Jackson really needs a good showing. I think the entire Baltimore team needs a good showing. Um, like you mentioned, presuming that presuming that they play, I know today there's more players that have in staff, and we'll see if that even plays out. But um, it's definitely a must-win for Baltimore. Um, I think Steelers are going to continue with their dominance, not really dominance per se, but – I like where they're going. Their defense is dominant. Their their defense is uh, their defense is like one of the I think one of the top of the past few years. I'd say maybe the best since um, the Broncos. Yeah, it's their defense is good. Claypool uh, Claypool has been good. Uh, Johnson, their other receiver, at times has been pretty consistent. James Washington, it really hasn't shown anything to me unless I missed something. Um, James Conner has done pretty decent time. You know, um, Pittsburgh going to eventually look at the quarterback position, and I guess a good question to you, because I'm I'm kind of on the fence if they keep uh, Mason Rudolph or not. Is does eventually Pittsburgh look at another younger until James um, change? Tell Mason Rudolph that hey, you got to earn this starting position eventually when Big Ben does retire. Yeah, uh, however long Ben's going to stick around, at some point the Steelers are going to have to try and go up and, and draft the quarterback of the future. Uh, and I think that's closer to being the reality than I think not. I don't know if Mason Rudolph will be here or be in Pittsburgh at that point. Um, it, but I do think that it's going to be – it's not going to be a job handed to them. They're going to be looking for it to fill it in the draft or possibly a free agent that pops up. Um, it's definitely not Mason Rudolph's team to take over. It's He's not the heir apparent. Another question. How do you see Trevor Lawrence fitting in with the Jets, and where is the best fit for Justin Fields next year? Trevor Lawrence with the Jets, if he has a different coach than Adam Gase, could be pretty good. They they are going to have to invest heavily in, in the draft moving forward and try and build a nucleus that they can they can build off of. But I think Trevor Lawrence is one of those guys who's talented enough that no matter where mm-hmm. he goes, he's going to struggle if he's on a bad team, obviously. But he's he reminds me of a guy like a Joe Burrow where he's going to be in a bad situation, but he's going to come out and exceed expectations no matter where he goes. Um, best fit for Justin Fields of the teams that I think are probably going to be looking at quarterbacks. Um, he well, – Maybe Jacksonville. Jacksonville, if uh, Trevor Lawrence goes one to the Jets, I could see Jacksonville trying to get the next best quarterback. Um, and they can try. I think Doug Marone is another coach who could be fired pretty soon here. And they'll, they'll probably bring in a new coach, and he'd want another top top five quarterback. So I think Justin Fields is Jacksonville. Other than that, maybe Washington if he falls that far. But that's those are the teams that are kind of in the quarterback hunt out of the top five as it, as it would stand today. I would probably a hundred percent. Well, I don't see fields going that far down to Washington. 
Well, I don't uh, it's possible, but I think Jacksonville is probably his best destination. And I think Trevor, regardless of, and you mentioned it and you nailed it, is the fact that wherever he goes, I think he's gonna he's gonna win. Um, let's just remember that next year, presuming that he does go to the Jets, he's gonna struggle and he's gonna have a team that's gonna be not too great. But he's gonna have some weapons eventually around. He's gonna have an offensive line eventually that's gonna block for him. So he's gonna be in a position to win. Uh, it's just gonna gotta be patient with him, just like Joe in Cincinnati. And I think he'll be fine. <clears throat> Where do you see the rest of the Cardinals season going? <clears throat> Where do you see the rest? Uh, the, of the Cardinals, Cardinals are playing in the best division in the NFL right now in the NFC West, and they they just lost the division lead to the Rams after this past weekend. Um, I really like Kyler, and I think that he and DeAndre Hopkins are getting on on a good page, and they're starting to build something out there. But their downfall is going to be coaching. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury he's a bad he's a bad college head coach. I don't know how he got this job. It doesn't make any sense. He is. It's like they were going to be the best-looking head coach on the sidelines, and that's what they wanted. Uh, so they got that, and he's got a sick house. Everybody saw that during the draft. Everybody loved it. Um, that's going to be their downfall. But Kyler Murray is a guy that can win in this league. He's going to be another guy like Russell Wilson where he's he's always keeping his teams in it, and he's got magic in his hands. He's, he did it a lot in college. Um, and then that Hail Mary, the uh, bombed and nuke. That's that's one of the going to be the signature play in the NFL moving forward. Yeah, that the Hail Mary was. I mean, I was wow, that was spectacular. And yeah, I'm not going to lie, I was like, well, anything can happen. I just didn't think that was going to be the uh, the touchdown pass. But I think Arizona's a good defensive. Is Vance Joseph has done well, especially coaching that defense. And that's weird saying that because you know we look at Vance Joseph and he didn't do very well in Denver. But again. Not everybody's made out to be a head coach, but you look at uh, Arizona. I like where they're going. Of course, Larry Fitzgerald's not the answer for the future. He's probably on his last year, but um, no, Kyle's doing well. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Christian Kirk, he's got some good. He's got some good weapons. Uh, if they continue to build, I think they'll be perfectly fine, especially in a, in a very talented NFC West. Um, I think they'll be perfectly fine moving forward. Cliff Kingsbury, I'm with you though. I don't see how in the world he got the head coaching job. Uh, he was mediocre at very best at Texas Tech, and that's putting it lightly. Uh, he um, he, I didn't think he was that great at Texas Tech. But again, we went with the Alamater, and of course, Alamater doesn't always work, uh, Mike Gundy. But um, you look at uh, Kingsbury, I guess it's like you said, it's probably must be the looks. And the house is real nice. And as we mentioned in the NFL draft, that was, that was a pretty sick, I guess that was his living room, I guess is what that room was. It's probably one of many living rooms. I, I, he was probably more than happy to have the virtual draft where he got to stay home instead of having to go to the dingy multi-million dollar facility. He can stay at his his oh, nice God. house. I'm sure it's out in. I'm sure if you Google it or somewhere, it's probably out in the middle of the desert where there's nobody around him and he can pose or do whatever he pleases to in his room. But no, nah, nice house, um, good looking dude. If you're into that. Do you think no, he could live in house, Vegas? Maybe uh, his house is in Vegas. He could. He seems like the kind of guy that would do that. He'd like fly oh, in every day sweet. or something. He seems. He seems like. You know, that wouldn't be that. And you know, I didn't even think about that. That wouldn't be a. Um, 
that could be a very good possibility yeah, that he may do that. that. He, he hell, he may have his own yeah, private yeah. jet somewhere around his house. He looked like inside of a hangar. I don't know what it was, but according to that house, he's he's getting paid well. Yeah, he's not struggling. That's for sure. He's getting well and. uh He's got a good quarterback. He's a young one, so I don't know. I think that's going to be a downfall for Arizona. Is He's a young quarterback. Whether or not he stays in the NFL, we'll see. Whether or not he jumps back to the air, back to the college ranks, I highly doubt it. But we'll see again because, obviously, at his alma mater, he won't be back there anytime soon. Um, what teams are in serious Super Bowl contention right now, and why are they? And why are they not the Bengals? <laughs> why are they not the Bengals? And yeah, you can tell I got some good <laughs> friends, huh? Man, you really know how to how to tug at the heartstrings. Serious teams in Super Bowl contention right now. The Saints, their defense really impre- impressed me, and that pickup of Quan Alexander is going to be the downfall of the 49ers and going to be the reason why the Saints do end up making a run this year. So I think on the NFC, they're really – the only team that I would say right now is a, a true contender. There's a lot of teams that could, but it it's hit or miss. Like the Rams, I'm not sure who's going to show up every week. The Packers, everybody on that team's pretty mentally soft. So I, I'd say the Saints on the NFC side are serious Super Bowl contenders. And I would go more with the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs, Steeler, the Chiefs and Steelers are going to have the experience factor, so that'll help them. Uh, the Bills, I think Josh Allen is going to get to the playoffs, maybe play well in one game, but then absolutely have a meltdown. I don't see him uh, going to the Super Bowl this year. And the, the Colts, they have the King captain meltdown in Phillip Rivers, so they're, they're not going to be anything there. I will say that the Raiders are a team that can be slept on going into the playoffs, but if they get there, I could see them doing what Tennessee did last year and, and possibly pushing to to the final quarter of the AFC Championship. That's that's one thing that I will say that's kind of being not mentioned. At this I point. think <clears throat> I think the AFC West side. You look at it. Kansas City is obviously the best team in the AFC. Or, well, talent wise, best team in the AFC West. Record wise, second best, but doesn't really. Full champs. Um, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, my top two. Um, I don't know if there's even a third team. I would probably say. If Tennessee get in, they can make some noise. I don't really get them going too far into it. Buffalo, they made it there last year, lost to Houston in the first round. They'll probably win a game, depends on how they get matched up, but they're going to choke um, pretty hard in the uh, in the second round if they get that far. I don't see them doing anything. Uh, NFC. In the well, it's definitely nobody in the NFC East side. Uh, We're going to have someone that, mm-hmm. I guess, theoretically could have six wins making the playoffs. I really don't, That's going to be interesting. Um, NFC West side, I think the Rams, you don't know what kind of team they're going to get out of. Green Bay's kind of been a inconsistent at times. Seattle, same, kind of the same boat. Um, the Saints, I think, probably my better chance. I'm not Tampa Bay. I was on Tampa Bay when, <clears throat> excuse me, when Tom Brady signed with the Bucks, and they eventually got um, Gronk, and then of course Antonio Brown, and so on and so forth. But um, I think Green Bay. 
the NFC is tougher, but uh, Green Bay. I think if Arizona can make the playoffs, that's a dark horse team that can that could make some noise. Not saying that they will, but they could make some potential noise, especially with Kyler and his little uh, catch me if you can legs and <clears throat> his uh, magic hands. Yeah, that, that's, Kyler is a good pick to possibly do do some damage, and Larry Fitzgerald has done that before in the playoffs, where he's taken teams that shouldn't have been there on crazy runs. Um, got Kurt Warner to a second Super Bowl, which I don't think anybody really thought was going to happen. So um, that's that's a team that could make a run. But the the Packers have just shown that they they just don't have the wherewithal to close out games. That's the biggest thing because they should have closed out the Colts on Sunday, and they didn't do that. And they ended up fumbling the game away in, in overtime. So he, Aaron Rodgers is, I think, one of the greatest talents to ever play quarterback. But he's going to go down as one of the biggest waste of talents because he's only going to have one Super Bowl. And I don't know if they get another one this year. They, they just have shown too many weaknesses. Yeah, same here. Um, I don't see – don't see them getting <clears> – <throat> excuse me, getting another one. I think the Saints, uh, especially if they win, I think uh, Drew Brees definitely retires at that point. Um, I don't see uh, – I don't see Drew Brees playing much much longer after this year. No, I think Drew Brees is washed up. I've been saying that since the beginning of the season. That he's he was reminiscent of Peyton in 2015. I think he's playing worse than Peyton did in 2015. He just has a better team around him. Uh, Alvin Kamara is a stud. He's one of the best just yard gainers in the league, running and passing. So he's kind of dragging that team. Taysom Hill's been fun, and he played well at quarterback. It's I think it's a matter of not having any film of him at quarterback. That's why he was able to do what he did. So this this week will be tougher for them. But I think that they're the most put-together team on the NFC side. Sean Payton and Drew Brees know how to get through the playoffs. And they, their defense is Demario Davis, Cam Jordan, and Quan Alexander, uh, Malcolm Jenkins. And uh, they, they just got a lot of guys that are studs on that side of the ball. They, they have a lot of experience, and they're – I think they're going to be the toughest team in the NFC this year. It's definitely going to be a um, a fun one to watch as we close out the regular season here. I guess we're it's getting close to it, a, but uh, especially playoff time. <clears throat> excuse me. You know, the NFC East, as much as pissy poor that division is, someone's got to win it, and someone's going to make the playoffs. Now, whether or not they make a run after that, who knows? Um, you never know. We may see a Philly special. I doubt it. Um, but... Uh, I mean, heck, Dallas may still make the playoffs, at, and Washington may. Who knows? That whole division's up for grabs, literally. Um, I, don't, I think a game separates them, I believe. Um, you look at um, – wow. Because they tied with the Bengals. Only if Denver was in the NFC East this year. <laughs> Yeah, they'd be the number one. They'd be number one by a mile. Everybody else would be like, "Wow, you can win four games in a season." Uh, Tampa Bay uh, is Tom Brady a sore loser? I don't know if you watched the game last night or not, but it's the second game I've seen him now when he loses. Uh, he he practically walked off the field without shaking anybody's hand, especially the quarterback's hand. Jared Goff. Uh, try to look for him last night. Is Tom Brady just a sore loser at this point? He realizes that he's not the quarterback that he once was, even though he hasn't been the last few years. Um, or does he – I don't know. Any idea of what might be going through his head? Or does he – 
I think he is a sore loser, but I think he's always been a sore loser, even going back to Michigan. Um, and every story that you hear about him, he's a guy that doesn't lose in anything. Even He's he's a rage quitter. If you're playing him in Madden and you're beating him, he's going to turn the PlayStation off before the game is over, so you never actually beat him. Um, so he's always been that way. He hasn't lost as much as he has this year. Um, so I think that's where people are starting to see that more. But he's always been a poor sport and a bad loser. Um he gives credit afterward, but in the moment, I think everybody – what people don't understand about professional athletes is they really do believe that they're the best and are going to win every single time. So when they lose, there are some guys that can't handle that. So I'm not telling you that it should be excused, but I don't I, – I don't not understand what he's feeling in that moment. I don't really – didn't ever really care to shake the hand after I lost um, in the moment, but it was the right thing to do, so – He's not without fault, but I don't fault him for it. Exactly. And uh, we're all on the competitive side, of course. I remember being uh, playing the basketball, and my dad would always say, you got to shake his hand. Of course, we had this one basketball game. Um, it got so bad. It was heated, and literally nobody was shaking hands. It got that bad. But, no, I get it. You got to. as Well, you don't have to, but they re they recommend it, that, you know, sportsmanship and so on and so forth. But, We'll see. Um, does Tom Brady? I don't think he will, but I guess it depends on how the season finishes out. Do you think he'll stick his two years in Tampa, or he'll try to bow out of this year? It'll. I think it kind of depends. If he's able to win a championship this year without Belichick, there's a better chance that he doesn't play the second season. But I do think that he's probably. He's the kind of guy that I think will believe that he can – if he wins this year, he'll believe that he can go out and win again the following year. Or if he doesn't win this year, he's going to put everything into 21 and try and win that year to prove that he can do it without Bill. So uh, it, it'll depend, but I do – I think it's more more likely that he plays out both years no matter what. That'd be interesting. Um, Tom Brady, of course. Uh, okay. Tom Brady, of course. Uh, um, very uh, – very, well liked in Denver, of course, it's the only team that he has a losing record against. So, yeah, I wouldn't say we, we like him. We enjoy him coming here, though. That's a lot of fun, especially in the AFC Championship. Hey, we like him when he comes to Denver, not so much when we go to Foxport. That was always been a different that been a different history. Hey, we like him when he comes to Denver. Not yeah, I'll shout out my co-host Nico because he's the Broncos fan between the two of us. I just threw in the, the Brady sucks in Denver in the AFC Championship bar, but I'm not even a Broncos fan, so there you go. <laughs> hopefully Denver, hopefully. You know, I know Cincinnati has its long ways. I think Denver, technically, I, my personal opinion, I think Denver and Cincinnati have some – um, years ahead of him, of course, Cincinnati probably a little farther behind than Denver is, but uh, they'll both, I think, get back there. Your personal take as we wind this down, did Marvin, the, the overstay of Marvin Lewis, uh, do you think that hurt the organization in the long run? No, Marvin Lewis wasn't the problem. Mike Brown is the problem, and he continues to be the problem. I don't know. There was a, something – I was a big mm -hmm. T.J. Hushmanzada fan when he was a receiver, and, and he came out recently and was talking about the the mm -hmm. optics of the franchise when he first got drafted to Cincinnati or he first ended up there. And they were reusing jock straps as professional athletes. You had to bring your own Gatorade to the facility for practice. Uh, Mike Brown is just notoriously cheap, and he doesn't put in the money 
into his franchise to make them competitive every year. They get lucky every now and then. And Marvin Lewis was a good enough coach that he got guys to play hard for him. But Mike Brown really doesn't do any favors for his coaches. So I don't think even now with Zach Taylor, I don't think Zach Taylor's a good head coach, but I don't think that his owner gives him the ability to be, they don't even have a scouting department. They have one scout um, when teams are employing like 45 people in one department to go out everywhere. They, they have one guy who goes and watches film and that's it. So it's a lot of other things. Marvin Lewis, I gave him a lot of crap towards the end of his career with the Bengals, but he really wasn't all that bad looking back on, on everything else that was going on with the franchise. Wow. Sound like it's this whole, uh, sound like the short staff. <laughs> wow. Yeah. They, uh, they could use some help. I mean, I'd, I'd volunteer my services. I could, they wanted to pay me a salary. I'd more than be more than happy to go out around to pro days and games and scout some talent for them. Well, Cause yeah. they desperately need it. There nobody who drafts Jake Fisher and, uh, Elijah Wilkinson, maybe some. We drafted two tackles back to back in the first round that ended up being two of the biggest busts in NFL history. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of problems in the, wow. in the organization. Well, on that note, <laughs> as we end the show, uh, Jimmy for coming on. Jimmy, do you have any plans for this week being Thanksgiving? Of course, everybody. Thank you. Uh, I'm actually going to meet some more family on my girlfriend's side, uh, going uh, up with her family for Thanksgiving, watching football, uh, eating turkey. It's kind of the plan, no matter where I ended up. But uh, going to go to a new place there and and just get geared up for the weekend. And Very sports. nice. Same here. Just spend it with the with the kids and the family, and we'll have uh, we'll have some fun. Of course, eat a lot of turkey. Uh, I think we got it planned on. Uh, Thursday, and then I think again on Sunday. So a lot of turkey uh, this week. But, um, hey, I'm just like you. I got Friday off, so uh, I'll take advantage of my four-day weekend and watch a lot of football from the NFL and especially the college side, and hopefully it'll be a good week overall. Yeah, no, I want to thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure talking football. Um, and if you guys enjoyed listening to me or you want to listen to more of my idiotic takes, you can – Catch my podcast, Far End of the Bench, uh, with my co-host, Nico Bryant. We come out on the Unhinged Network, uh, 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays. And then we're available on all, all audio platforms at right after. And then we also release our episodes on YouTube Thursday Thursday evenings as well. So that's where you can catch us at Pod on all social medias. Uh, so like I said, if you wanted to chirp me for the bad takes that I had on the show or if you enjoyed listening to me and want to catch more of my takes, that's where you can find uh, me uh, elsewhere. There you have it. Of course, uh, as always, subscribe, listen to anywhere you can get your pla- uh, podcast from, uh, the Air Raid Attack podcast, search it, find it, download it, do, do what you got to do. And then, of course, you can listen on the Unhinged Sports Network at Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern and then the daily new shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I believe. I can't remember my own schedule. But anyway, that's what we're going to do this week at least. At least guaranteed one week this week. Oh, this week because of Thanksgiving. Um, so, of course, uh, from the Area Attack podcast and and uh, myself to you, Jimmy, and to your family, and to everyone listening, enjoy your holiday weekend. Eat a lot of food, ham, turkey, whatever you guys do. Uh, enjoy your uh, your time with your family, loved ones. And even though this year has been a tough one for all of us and it sucks, let's all remember what we're grateful for. And even though this year has... 
been a tough one for all of us. Yeah, exactly. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Jimmy, take care of yourself. And uh, again, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take to take you as well, yourself. and I will be talking with you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. You as well, and I will be talking with you soon.